Hello and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Today on the show, we welcome Portfolio Manager Brett DeLay as he discusses Fidelity's Market Neutral Alternative Fund and why investors may consider long-short investing strategies. Some considerations include volatility protection as the fund aims to neutralize market volatility, providing stability in uncertain times for both equity and bonds. Brett adds the fund has a volatility that is a fifth of the equity market and a lower volatility than bonds. In addition, the pairing strategy of the fund implements a relative value investing strategy, taking a long position in stronger assets and short positions in weaker assets, achieving a net exposure of zero. Brett further explains that strategically taking a long position on a stock that is growing faster has better margins and trades cheaper than the comparable stock. And whether the economy or market is good or bad, it has no bearing on the returns of the fund, as long as the long position goes up more or down less than the short position stock. This podcast was recorded on November 8th, 2023. We are living in a time of incredible volatility in equity markets and in bond markets. It's wild. Mm. Why ultimately do we want to be talking about something that can neutralize that? Because it is a bit uncertain out there. So I think volatility kind of rears its head in a couple ways. And I think what we're seeing right now is just the uncertainty around the direction of the market, the direction of the economy and the direction of interest rates. So when the market is unsure about direction and is trying to sniff it out, that creates heightened volatility. And that's what we've seen, you know, very recently. And I think quite honestly, over the last year and maybe even the last year and a half. The unfortunate aspect about volatility is it's scary. And you can see what it does to portfolio returns. They can go up a lot, they can go down a lot. And if you time that wrong, that's a very, very dangerous thing. So one of the tools that we have with the Market Neutral Alternative Fund, which is a much lower volatility product, it's actually had a volatility about a fifth of the underlying equity market, and it's even lower than bonds. And And it's even lower than bonds. It's lower than bonds. And we use equities solely uh, as our tool to creating this strategy. Okay, this particular strategy launched about three years ago, as we mentioned there, along with a couple of other funds that are offered. This, you bring to this, and I think think it's sort of a personal way that you've looked at the markets, a a pairing strategy. I think about that when I talk about currencies or currency pairings. How does this work exactly? Pairing, what are we talking about? So this fund is constructed in a way that I get to implement what I call relative value investing. Okay. And so what I'm doing in relative value investing is I'm taking a dollar that's given to the fund and I'm going $1 long and $1 short so that the net exposure of the fund is actually zero. Uh, More importantly, what we call beta, which is just another word for correlation, the correlation to the underlying equity markets is zero. The correlation to bonds is zero, you name it. Crypto commodities, zero. This asset class behaves independently of the direction of everything else. And that's very important because what that allows us to do is generate returns irrespective of whether the stock market is up a lot, down a lot, or sideways. Wow. And so what I'm trying to do here when I think about how the portfolio is constructed, I use a series of pair trades, approximately 40 or 50 pair trades. And what I'm trying to do is isolate factors, make sure that I've hedged out by going you know, long a growth stock, I would go short a growth stock, I'd go long a value stock. So that stock. would be the pairing, long and short Sim- within growth. Yes, so I'm going, okay. I'm looking for areas of differentiated returns amongst similar types of stocks. Interesting. And so sometimes competitors? Could be. It could be as simple as one rail versus another rail. Okay. Could be a little bit more nuanced than that. But what that allows me to do is, um, for example, let's talk rails. 
I don't want to have a view of the underlying economy or the underlying freight market. I'm not trying to express that. What I'm trying to express is one rail is growing faster, has better margins and trades cheaper than the other rail. And so over time, I think the market figures that out and whether you know the underlying freight economy is great or bad has no bearing on the returns of the fund as long as the stock that I'm long goes up more or down less than the stock that I'm short. So relative, 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 this is how this looks. Okay, so why wouldn't, if, if the, if the res end result, the goal is neutral, this goes back to why don't you just put your money under the mattress? Because cash is an asset cash. as well, and That's it right. also can go up and down. So just take us through that. Like, how is there nowhere to hide in a lot of different asset classes, but this allows you kind of a place to hide in high volatility? That's right. So again, what we're doing is we are looking for stock-specific differences and implementing relative value. So whether we're looking for a place to hide, the entire market can go, can go down a lot. But if I am long stocks that go down 20% and short stocks that go down 30, the fund's going to generate the profit, the 10% spread between the two. So that's, that's what we're trying to do here. And that's why market direction or any asset class correction really has no bearing on the performance of this fund. So you're shorting in here that the, in the alternative space that this allows you. And we've spoken with some of your colleagues about three years back. Certain regulations had changed by that point. Yeah. And, and so it was something that could be offered. Tell us a little bit about what you've seen since the fund has launched, because it's, I mean, it's actually been a wild time in the markets. Has it worked okay? Let's think about what we've seen in those three years. We've seen sort of multiple different types of markets, multiple different cycles. We've seen, you know, the big growth market of 2021, the terrible market of 2022, the snapback at the start of 2023. And one of the things that I'm most proud of that demonstrates this product is behaving the way it's supposed to is let's think about 2022 and let's talk about high growth stocks. So the overall NASDAQ, I believe in 2022 was down like 30-ish percent. Mm -hmm. High growth, high multiple stocks were down 70 to 80, right? They right. were terrible. They were terrible. Wild. Yes. Um, I invest in those stocks, but importantly, I invest both long and short in those stocks. Okay, wait, let's just get that back. So, so okay, let's say the Magnificent Seven, you chose two. Sure. It was a terrible market basically for all of them across the boards, but one of them went down more or less than the way you had paired them. That's right. So if I'm, this wasn't what happened, but let's say I own Facebook long and Facebook was bad and went down 20, that's unfortunate. Yeah. But if I was short Amazon against it and Amazon went down 40, the fund makes the, the difference between the two, which is 20%. And actually the highest um, uh, attribute, attributing sector to, to the fund was tech. Literally, like on January 1st, the market went flipped, flipped, right? So high growth tech off to the races, tech off to the races. The market was great. You know, those stocks that were down 70 last year were up 50, 60, 70 this year. And the highest attributing sector in the fund was tech. So what that tells me is we did our job. We hedged the market direction on both ways. Uh, appropriately. So let me just go right back to, so if you had two stocks, pair trade, would you be long each of them or would you always be long and short one, one or the other? So a pair trade is one long versus uh, one, one short. short. Okay. And, and what I'm doing, again, I'm, I'm implementing pair trades amongst similar types of stocks with similar factors so that I don't want to have this fund's returns being driven by, you know, am I long value and short growth and value outperforms growth? Okay. That would be great. But that's not what I'm trying to do. If, you, if you're bullish on value, there's other ways you can implement that. Um, we have a whole bunch of products that are value products. Sure. What I'm trying to do is hedge all of that out 
and literally just focus on, I'm trying to buy one stock that has a better outlook than another stock. And whether they both go up, both go down, doesn't matter. When you think about, and lots of people talk about diversification, and it's an amazing word, and it's a very important word. It can also be almost a bit of a throwaway word because you're like, okay, right, right, diversification, that's a 60-40. Okay, so we've got this. Take us through how you think maybe that doesn't work right now. Yeah, well, it has What to. is diversification? <laughs> has not worked. It yet. has not. Um, so uh, that's a great question. And so I, I've kind of thought about this a lot. And, you know, again, the importance of this fund is I kind of think of it as a different asset class. Okay. Meaning it doesn't... It's not commodities. It's not bonds. It's, it's not a 60-40 construction. No, it's not stocks. We use stocks, but it doesn't trade like the stock market does. It right. behaves independently, which is very important. And that's what actually creates diversification. So again, like I'm going to use 2022 because it's fresh. Sure. You know, diversification in theory is you own a bunch of different things. So you own stocks, bonds, crypto, real estate, commodities. Guess what? Bad, 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 bad. They all went down. So it didn't help you owning a bunch of different things. What true diversification is, is owning a few things that don't behave like each other. And because we structured this fund with a beta of zero, net exposure of zero, it doesn't behave like other things. Wow. So interesting. So where would this fit? So if, if I mean, do we have to think this is an opinion I'm asking for. Do you think we have to rethink the way that, that we sort of allocate things? I mean, is it, is it time to rethink that? I think it is. Um, okay. Again, we, we, we don't have to kind of use the 60-40, but it's a nice, easy example. Okay. The reason you have a 60-40 is because, in theory, bonds are supposed to zig when equities are zagging. They're supposed to go up in times where the equity market's soft, and maybe they go down when the equity market's doing well. Well, that hasn't been the case. No. Recently, they've both done poorly. Um, but it's actually not a new phenomenon. In 2018 through 2020, you know, interest rates were going down, which meant bonds were going up, and the stock market was going up. It wasn't diversified. So they were actually behaving similarly. We just didn't worry about it because they were both going up. Right. We kind of now start thinking about it when it's going the other way. So it's actually not a new phenomenon. We're That's just hearing, so true. We're just hearing we a just lot more about it. Worry about it. Yeah. In that way. Okay. Fascinating. So for someone who, you know, maybe currently has a 60-40 and they're either happy or, or not happy with it. Where, where would you say this, this fits? Among, I mean, is it core? Is this a core strategy? No, I don't think it's core. It's not core. No. Okay. I think of this as this is another asset class that belongs somewhere in that spectrum of, of what you're trying to do. Okay. And look, we generate positive returns we have over the last couple of years, and that's great. So that's good. You should want that anyways. But if you're trying to think about a balanced portfolio in terms of diversification benefits, well, this is, this is really added in. So... Brett, what is the implied risk of a short position kind of blowing up and significantly impacting the fund's performance? This is on the downside. Great question. So number one thing is when I talked about kind of having about 40 pair trades on, that, that yeah. reigns true. So I have about 40 longs, but I have about twice as many shorts. Oh, so what that means is I have smaller short positions for exactly that reason. And, you know, more importantly, when I'm, when I'm playing in maybe high volatile type sectors, i.e. high growth tech or high growth consumer, something like that, those positions are gonna be smaller. So it could be like a 50 basis point short, where if I'm wrong, it's gonna hurt, but it's not gonna be tragic. Right. And I can stomach it, and more importantly, if the stock goes up, whether it's due to real reasons or due to some sort of squeeze type thing, I don't have to make a bad decision at the wrong time mm -hmm. because it's not super painful. So I, an example would be a company called Wayfair that I was short. Okay. They are like an online retailer of furniture, right? So great yeah. COVID stock because everybody tricked out their house and bought patio furniture, right? Exactly. Your home office. 
And then we had the big fallout from that. And so the stock, I can't recall when I shorted, it was in the hundreds. You know, it went down to 30, and then we had a bit of a squeeze kind of moment, and it went back up to, I think it was almost like $70. But because I had risk controlled that position, that it was very small by the time it was down to 30, that was okay. It didn't hurt. You didn't notice it. Fun still did well. And I got to sit there at 70 and be like, well, I really don't like it here. And lo and behold, it's back down to 30. And so smaller, tighter, and more short positions versus longs is the one way to control that. The other thing we do is we have specialized software. We have cost of borrow, which identifies stocks that could be at risk hmm. of having a short squeeze, i.e. they're heavily shorted. And I just avoid them. Take us through into the macro right now. And, and to a certain extent, you said some of this doesn't matter. But to what degree does the interest rate, the inflation story play into this? So you're looking at companies that may or may not have you know, a good balance sheet, right? Is that Does this come into it? You're looking at stock-specific companies that will have profiles, their, their balance sheet profiles will be X, Y, and Z. Kind of give us, in theory, how you make a decision on like that macro piece of the story. Yeah. So again, I'm not trying to make a call on the direction of interest no. rates, but when it comes to stock-specific, you know, in an environment like this, if you have a company with a clean balance sheet and no maturities, and another company in a similar industry that does similar things, that maybe has you know a tighter capital structure and it has some upcoming maturities, and maybe they're trading at similar valuations, which sounds odd, but it does happen. Mm. That's the opportunity, right. and so that could be a pair trade right there. Fascinating. Okay, another question. Oh, this is actually kind of on the interest rates. Well, you'll just add to this. So, with interest rates having increased, how has the cost of shorting impacted the fund's performance? Yeah, great question. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, so, the cost of shorting has remained stable. Um, the typical explain what the cost of shorting is yeah right yeah. so uh, when you short a stock you have to pay what's called a cost of borrow and it's effectively um, a few basis points to be able to kind of sell that security short okay yeah. so the average a normal typical cost of borrow is 35 basis points annually some of the highly shorted kind of heavily shorted stocks they, it gets crazy right they could have like a nine percent cost of borrow they could have a 90% cost of borrow, as was the case with a company called Beyond Meat. Mm -hmm. So what that means is, look, we all think it's going to zero, mm -hmm. but you're going to pay 90% a year to wait for that to happen. You can still make money on that, but you need to be really right really fast. So I just completely ignore that. Okay, really? So that you just you just take that out of I the mix? On. There are other opportunities. In my opinion, I don't need to, to okay. do that. Um, however, yep. uh, I think more interesting than the cost of borrow is higher interest rates have been really, really good for this fund. And so when we sell a security short, we're selling that stock short, we get cash back. We invest that cash in the fund in an overnight money market rate. So we're getting a yield on that, okay. on that cash. And for the, you know, when we started the fund three years ago, interest rates were basically zero. We weren't getting any real yield on that. Now it's nice, it's meaningful, and that's real returns to the, uh, to the fund holders. So it's been great. Awesome. Higher interest rates are good for the fund holders. So just getting back to what you use in the fund, this. This is equities. You're using equities. You couldn't, for instance, take a look at the price of oil today, which is, which is kind of lower. There's discussions about whether demand is what people thought it was and so on. You couldn't take a position on the commodity, for instance. No. But you could look at energy companies if you wanted to. Yeah. So I could, if I wanted to make a call on to. oil, yeah. which I don't. Which you don't. Because that goes against everything that I'm trying to do. <laughs> I could implement it by owning, you know, uh, some oil stock versus another oil stock. Okay. Okay. Which you don't, but you would, would you take a position on, maybe it's not taking a position, but taking 
themes into consideration. So we talk a lot about you know waste loss drugs. There's there are different companies that do it, but there's a couple of obvious ones. Mm -hmm. And then AI. Everyone's trying to figure this one out. Mm -hmm. Do you play those themes within I, the portfolio? I do. So I think areas of where there's change yep. are typically areas where in the stock market there is wide dispersion. Right. There's winners that will emerge and there's losers that will emerge. So if I'm comfortable about a theme and I can I believe I, we can, you know, we have a good research team here that helps us identify who's going to win and who's going to lose. Absolutely. Yeah. So AI would be an example. I have some AI winners. They're probably not who you think they are. They're a lot more basic. They're a lot more simple. It could be an example, uh, a company that just makes chips, not the big one, but right. a company that makes other types of chips that quite frankly, AI takes off. We need more of them. Right. Um, there could be on the short side, other companies that maybe their industry is ripe for disruption. It's heavily people-based and it could be automated and that's that's trouble. And that's trouble. So fascinating. Okay. Take us into a little bit of sort of this is not bonds ultimately. This is this is not anything on that side. But again, how does this sort of come into someone's portfolio construction? I don't I don't want to go too deeply into this, but I just want to kind of understand when you watch the bond market doing what it's doing. How does it impact ultimately what you're doing in this fund? Or does it? Maybe it doesn't. Yeah, so it really doesn't impact it doesn't. what I'm doing on a day-to-day -day basis. Does it impact how this could help the client? I think it absolutely does. Okay. So again, we use bonds as a place of safety, yeah. place of diversification, and they just haven't been. Um, if you look at this fund, this fund has been exactly that with lower volatility than even the bonds that we're talking about. So I think this has a place in everybody's portfolio. And it's across the portfolio. Tell us a little bit about the cycles that... I mean, do, do you maybe you don't make a call of the cycles, but we've been through some wild times over the last three years. What does it seem that we're setting up for? We just have to be comfortable in the uncertainty. Is that is that sort of where you pick it up from? Yeah, I think so. But again, what I what I have the luxury of doing is being able to kind of drill down and maybe not have to worry too much about getting the cycle right. One of the themes of my fund right now is I'm really focused on price and valuation. Okay. And so an example of that would be, you know, I own some stocks that are that are long, consumer discretionary stocks, mm -hmm. where the outlook is likely not very good. Okay. And the numbers next year are probably too high. But they trade at five times earnings. And they have a clean balance sheet and they're actually good businesses that'll be around forever and ever and ever. So if the numbers are 50% too high, then the stock is seven times earnings at the bottom. I'm okay with that. Wow. And I think the market has already priced that in. So that's really the types of things I'm focused on now is where do we think the outlook could be bad, but the market's already there. Can you give us one example of a parent? I'll give two. I'll give one sort of really simple one that yeah. with two companies we all know, and then I'll give maybe a bit more nuanced one. So a simple one would be at the start of this year, I was long Google and I was short Visa. I think we all know what both these companies yes. do. So they're very similar stocks. They're mega cap tech, they kind of grow the same, they're high quality, they're compounders, they're great. That's fine. I'm happy to short a good company if I think I can make more money owning something else on the other side. So with Google, to me, at the start of the year, there was big worry that they were going to lose their dominance in search because Microsoft had ChatGPT and we were all going to switch to Bing. I just didn't believe it, right? I just don't think people switch their habits that quick. And when I looked at a case study of what happened to Meta, when everybody thought we weren't going to use Instagram anymore, mm -hmm. we were going to use TikTok, nobody switched their habits. The stock got really cheap and everybody hated it. And I thought this feels really, really similar to Meta. And Meta was a very good stock once we got over that. So I put that trade on in general. And the short side of it, Visa, was 
Visa had been a strong stock. Everybody loves it. Mm -hmm. But if the consumer is slowing, we're spending less on our card, which just means less money to Visa. Very simple. The trade worked out. Both stocks in this case were actually good, right? Tech was pretty strong at the start of the year. So Visa went up, I believe it was like 7 or 8%. Mm -hmm. That's okay. Google went up 30. Right. So I hedged out all the factors. I didn't have to figure out if tech was going up or not. I just looked at one stock that was cheaper than the other one with, I think, a better outlook and more hated. And that's how the pair trade was created. So when you, so you use factors, which factors do you use or which do you use the most? Yeah, I think um, the two most important, I think, are style. Okay. Right. And so I don't want to, I don't want this fund to have style drift. And so that can mean a bunch of different things. But in simple terms, it's are you growth or are you are you value? There's okay. more to it than that, but let's just keep it there. Look, if you're positive on value and you want to buy value funds in your portfolio, there's a lot of ways to do that. This fund doesn't need to be that. It is. I don't want the source of returns from this fund coming from a style bet. I want it to be pure stock versus stock. Okay. Here's another one. How do you manage your positions for geopolitical developments? I would hedge it out. You would hedge it up. Right. So like, let's use oil as an example. Okay. There would be upside in oil, I think, if there's some you know, negative geopolitical de sure. developments. So what I would do is I would long an oil stock and short an oil stock. Uh, hopefully one that's growing faster, has a better balance sheet, better quality company, maybe has some catalysts. They're drilling a couple high impact wells, something like that. And if we get, I don't want to say get it right, but if these geopolitical things happen and the yes. price of oil goes up, I think I can still win because both stocks will go up. But if I get the catalyst path right and the valuation right on the stock I'm long, it should go up more than the one I'm short. If I get it wrong and oil goes down, we can still win. So those are the opportunities I'm trying to find. Super cool, I have to say. Okay, so what sectors within the fund are you currently bullish on over the next 12 months? And there's sort of an extra bit to that. Also, where do you view the biggest opportunities for next year? Do you want to think about it as sectors? Do you think about it as a sector? So, Yes and no. And, and when we talk about sectors, what I have the luxury of doing in this fund is in general, when, I, when I'm playing sectors, I'm, I, I, don't, I don't have to be sector neutral, but it's tech stock versus tech stock, industrial versus industrial for okay. the most part. Okay. Um, and what that allows me to do is I focus on uh, sectors that have wide dispersion in their groups of stocks and uh, are what we call stock picking sectors, not group sectors. Mm -hmm. So you won't see me in the banks a lot because they kind of trade like a group. Right. And there's yes, there's a difference between the returns of TD versus CIBC, but it's not going to be as material as something in the consumer space or in the industrial space. Sure. So in general, that's those are the sectors I play in, which leads me towards tech, industrials, healthcare, and consumer. Okay. Um, in terms of uh, one sector versus another, there are times where I, would, where I would do that. And one of the examples I talked about being long these really cheap consumer discretionary stocks. Hmm. Um, on the other side of that, I'm short really expensive, defensives and so those could be consumer staple stocks you know an example would be something that makes dish soap or makes spice yep. they grow you know with gdp but they're hiding places and they trade at 30 times earnings right and i'm just trying to think in two years is this stock that doesn't grow trading at 30 right. going to be better than this cheap stock that we will get through it and will emerge on the other side and i don't think so too expensive in your opinion the, the defensive side of things okay that's awesome example how can investors get an understanding of your long short strategies to take a long term view on on performance? I think what try and think about what we're trying to accomplish. So what what this fund is structured to do is give you a, a cash type return that comes from selling those securities right. short and earning a yield on the on the proceeds from that and alpha. And this is what we do here at Fidelity. We are, right. you know, we're an alpha shop. That's what we, we think we're good at. And so what we're trying to generate, you know, cash plus alpha. 
And if I look about, if I think about the last year, you know, cash, uh, whether it's a high interest savings account or a money market type thing, would have got you about four and a half percent. Look, we get part of that from just the short selling proceeds. Right. And then we layer on the alpha on top of that. And that's how we generate our returns. And um, that's what we're trying to do. I'm trying to get my head around if this is as safe as a bond, because bonds are just different because they're in a totally different capital structure. But are they as safe as bonds? It's different. Okay. It's different. It's low. It's less volatile. Um, but like this funds could go down. Look, bonds went down too. We, see, we know they that. Um, but no, I, I don't think it's fair to say you can't one's compare because the they're other. two separate assets. Things. Asset classes. Okay. Does your premium on the options get impacted? Premium on the options. We don't use options. You don't. Yeah, I was going to say. I was, I was thrown by that. Okay. So would this fund in a portfolio that is currently 64, this is kind of coming back to what we started out with, yeah. would it replace a portion of equities or a portion of fixed income or both? Again, right? Try and think of this as something new, different. It's a right. different part of that portfolio. So where you choose to take it from, you know, I think... The easier argument is bonds, but recall, this is not a bond. This doesn't give you a coupon. This doesn't right. generate income for your holders. So if that's part of it, this is not that. Um, this is a diversifier, right? right? And this is a way to generate uncorrelated alpha. I haven't asked you yet where you go globally. You mentioned American companies, so I'm assuming mm-hmm. it's North American. Where else can you go? Yeah, so this is a North American focused fund. Okay. Uh, I have the ability to go 10% outside of North America. I've been at Fidelity for 15 years, I've been managing money for 14 and a half. I've never owned a non-North American stock. Okay. I could. Yes. Probably won't. Probably won't. That's, you know, that's clarifying. That's yeah. helpful. What would you say to, to advisors who, you know, they're talking to their clients regularly and the clients are saying things like, well, there's not a lot of volatility out there. I'm not enjoying this all that much. What's, what's the argument for this as we sort of come to the close of our conversation here? What, what do you want the advisors to at least share with their clients? If by volatility they, re, they mean, they, they mean you know, things aren't going well. Yes, with some expletives even possibly. Right. Yes, yes. That's okay because again, this fund by design doesn't behave like anything else. This will move right. independently, whether the market is really strong or really soft, bonds are good, commodities are good, doesn't matter, has no impact. So this does something completely different and acts as a diversifier. The other thing that when you layer this into a broader portfolio with the lower volatility characteristics, I think what this can help you do is keep your client in the game. And so what I mean by that is the biggest mistake that you know people out here watching know much more than I do is when things get tough, people get nervous and they sell. They're forced sellers. They're forced sellers. And that's because of typically volatility and a large drawdown. This can limit both of those things by having lower volatility and we'll typically have a lower drawdown than the market because it doesn't behave like the market and we're hedged and we have a short book that should benefit in those times. And so I think this is a way to keep your client in the game so they don't make that bad decision at the wrong time. I think that's very, very important. That is hugely important and it's something that probably all advisors have experienced with their clients. And and at some point you don't know what to say. Okay. Helps you stay in the game. Brett DeLay, thank you very much. Great to see you. Thanks for having me. It's great. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you soon. I'm Tamala Ritchie. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity mutual funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. 
Visit fidelity.ca slash how to buy for more information. While visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. See you next time. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada, ULC, or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed, their values change frequently, and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments.